Jesus, God in the flesh in the future. This passage of scripture starts by God speaking, telling the reader or readers of the Son. Then God speaks of himself. The Spirit is also spoken of. In other words, it's how the Godhead works for us and draws us to himself. A light to a fallen world which we live in. God speaks with authority of things to come and things past. God views and knows everything, everywhere, past, present and future. He is in control of all things totally. So here we go then. Verse 1, God speaking. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my spirit delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Here, God speaks about his only begotten son before he becomes Jesus, the son of man. And he does all this for our benefit so that when these things happen later on in the life of the world, we can say, well, God said that this would happen. And here we are. It's either happening or it's happened. So the saying in the scriptures is true and right in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. As well as everything else that God says and does for mankind, we are all without excuse for not believing in him and thanking him. Even us Christians, me included especially, don't thank him enough or respond to him correctly at times. But God opposes Jesus ready and waiting for his part to play in the earth's history. He is God's elect one, his only son, whom he is well pleased. And God's soul delights in him. In Matthew 3.17, God spoke from heaven when John the Baptist baptised Jesus. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. His own spirit is within him and there is only him who can do this special job of redemption for mankind. We as humans, regardless of how good we may think we are, will never be good enough. And that's why we all need a saviour. And here is a description of him in Isaiah 42, about 700 years or more before Jesus is born on earth as the son of man. There are also snippets of Jesus who is to come all over the Old Testament. And this is just one of them. But what a true reflection it is. As we can see, God truly loves his son because they are one. Just as John 10, 30 says, with Jesus speaking, I and my father are one. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Yes, and here we are. Non-Jews, here we are. Each one of us is part of this piece of scripture. 
Obviously, Gentiles means non-Jews, but it could also mean non-believing Jews or act like Gentiles. Jesus was born with the Jews, and there was many non-believers who became believers through Jesus' ministry and work. Throughout the Bible, believers, oh, wrong line, throughout the Bible and other writings and songs, Jesus is God's only son whom he upholds, he delights, and his spirit is upon him, and he will be seen by mankind on earth. He is the man to save us. No one else comes near, because no one else is good enough or perfect like Jesus. Verse 2. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. Jesus didn't do this. He was gentle, kind and lonely. This is John the Baptist's job, which is also in Isaiah 40, verses 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the deserts the highways for our God. You see how beautiful the scriptures are put together and work together. It's no wonder we are without an excuse. We are told of things years ahead of their time and what takes place in the future. And guess what? It comes true. It's because it's the work of God, not man. But man's involved. It's all about God's perfect timing and planning. God is truly kind and merciful and gracious to all of us, believers and non-believers. Jesus went to villages and he walked on as he walked on earth. He didn't shout through the streets. Crowds of people came, came to him, as it says in Mark 1.28. Immediately, his fame spread throughout the all the region of Galilee. <coughs> Matthew 4.24. Then his fame went through Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him, from Galilee to Decapolis, Jerusalem, Jeru Judea, and beyond the Jordan. People came and followed him from everywhere. And why not? A bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. A bruised reed could be people who had or have faith in God, but are weak, frail, have been hurt, mind, spirit or physically, may have been rejected by society, such as lepers, the lame, the blind, etc. So they have become like a smoking flax, weak, as if they will go out like a candle at its end. Jesus will bring forth his justice and fan them back into flame, help them and restore them like no one else can, and not quench them. In other words, he will not ignore them, nor leave them. And at the end of time, his justice and his truth will rule forever. This is a servant whom God will uphold who is to come in the future. Verses 4. 
he will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. You think of Jesus, God's servant, what he had to put up with while he was on earth. Self-righteous Pharisees, Sadducees, plus other religious leaders, tax collectors, rich people, stubborn people. Even his own disciples were stubborn and rebellious at times, and one of them was going to betray him. Then the cross lay in front of him to pay for our sins. But Jesus was never discouraged. That was his job. And he never failed. And we'll celebrate that next, uh, in two weeks' time with Easter. He was the right servant at the right time, in the right place, doing God's righteous work of redemption for mankind. He taught and showed us the way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's no wonder he had to come. And we saw, people saw him in their time, in the flesh. And we've got the apostles who walk with him. And thank you, thankful for that. We are thankful. We've got a picture of Jesus in our heads. It might not be quite true because we weren't there. We didn't see his physical face and all the stuff that we did. But because of the Bible, we know about it. He ticked all the right boxes, as it were, in the Bible of who God's servant in the Old Testament would be. Jesus is that man, the Holy Son of God. He established God's justice on earth and the coastlands or other lands shall wait for his law. Many coastlands have received missionary Bibles. The apostles went there, especially the apostle Paul, to hear and they can read the good news. Jesus not only told us God's law, and the good news, he acted them out. So nowadays, we as Christians need to act them out in our day. The Bible is the book that people on this planet need to read and needs to act out like Jesus did, with love and care for others. And it's in the reading and acting out that matters, as sometimes actions speak louder than words. Verses 5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. God has told us of his servant, and who better to give us a description of Jesus than God himself. They have always existed, along with the Holy Spirit, the Godhead is three in one. I can't explain that, but I believe it. God is saying, I am the creator of all things. And then he gives us a description of what he has done. He created the heavens and stretched them out. Notice heavens, meaning more than one. There are three heavens. The first heaven is where the Godhead is, which has always existed. So there's always been a heaven, one anyway. Then he made the universe. Then he made the earth's heaven, where the clouds are, as heaven means space. Then he spread forth the earth, 
and that which comes from it. God is giving us this Genesis story. And you think of the number of things around us today. It's absolutely endless. You think of the life on planet Earth, whether it's creepy crawlies and snails, humans, elephants, kangaroos. It's endless. It's absolutely endless. Then you've got the plant life, you've got rabbits, and it's just absolutely endless. I couldn't even name them. Not every one of them, anyway. And it's a fair comment to say that <coughs> mankind has made loads of stuff. And we have. In the past and even today, we've got all this technology around us, and that's true. But the building blocks of the building materials, the oils, the water, the natural resources, are all here. They're all, God placed them in the earth and give us intelligence to use them to make stuff. That's why we've got this technology. That's why we've got all the water and all these other things. God knew that we needed them. God gave us an understanding to use them. And hopefully we use them well. Sometimes we don't, unfortunately. But God gave us, us that wisdom to find them and to use them. And I'm sure there's loads of other stuff that we haven't found yet. God continues to say, who gives us breath to the people on it and to the spirit to those who walk on it. So from the moment you are born and come forth from your mother's womb, you need oxygen and to start breathing. And God and him alone has put the spirit into every one of us. How technical is that? That's more technical than all the stuff that we create. We all have a unique DNA. Work that one out. And there's 8 billion people on planet Earth today, so statistics say. I'm glad I said that right. There's 8 billion of us. We've all got a different DNA. And I suppose everybody in the past had a different DNA. Fantastic. God breathed into Adam and Eve personally to start life off on planet Earth. And people might say, well, that doesn't seem right. But what does Luke 1, 37 says? For with God, as we said this morning, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just forward again to verse 6. Verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your right hand, hold your hand, sorry. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. God again is speaking about his only begotten son, Jesus. He has called him in righteousness. God also says, I will hold your hand, and he does. God is with Jesus all the way to the cross. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, a light to the Gentiles. This is quite mind-blowing, really. A covenant means a contract or an agreement. So, before creation began, the Godhead knew that mankind would sin and fall. God is righteous, he needs righteous people, but we become unrighteous through sin. So Jesus, however it worked, because we don't know, volunteers to pay for our sin by shedding his own blood to cover our unrighteous sinful actions and nature but this is in the future which God accepts again before time began and it's 
it's not just God's chosen people, the Jews. It's for Gentile. It's for us. It's for us as well. And you think we Christians, if if we said if I said that at work, people would think that I'm crazy. So what? So what? But it's true. I mean, it took me a while, even when I were a Christian, to work that out in my own head. So I'm not really surprised why a non-Christian can't get it into the head. I understand that because I were there. Maybe you understand it because you were there. But anyway, but we are without excuse because God says so. You think of um, Simeon in the temple, as it was a sippet about a month or something uh, ago. It said about baby Jesus was a light for the Gentiles. So here we are. Luke 2, 29-32. Now, Lord, now you are letting your, your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes, that's Simeon's eyes, have seen your salvation, which is prepared before the face of all people. A light to bring revelations to the Gentiles. Again, here we are. And to thy glory of thy people, Israel. It's a beautiful piece of scripture. Simeon then could go and die in peace. It's just fantastic. It's beautiful. He, in his own soul, knew that he could die in peace. Beautiful. God prepared this before the face of all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, to be a revelation of salvation for all of us. Verse 7. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. There is hope for prisoners. Sometimes we even write them off. Don't think about them. Maybe we should pray for them more. Don't know. But there is hope for prisoners. But there are many types of prisoners. Before we became Christians, we were blind to uh, the faith. And then our eyes were opened to the truth. Think of the Apostle Paul that we've been touching in uh, our Bible studies, and we touched on this morning, who was called Saul, throwing people into prison for being a Christian. Or Christian, should I say. Some were even killed. He was, in a way, a prisoner to himself. Sometimes we are, or have been. But Saul, on the Damascus Road, the light of Christ shone upon him. And in Acts 9.4, it says this. Then Saul fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then he, the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Saul knew this was God speaking, because being a Pharisee, the voice of God says, I am the tetragrammaton of God. And he knew it. And then it says, I am Jesus. I do wonder if God made him blind for three days. Because when your eyes are closed, you can fo focus more in your prayers, your thoughts, and your thinking. But when they're open, you focus on what you see. Like I can see you, and I can see this sermon. So, um... I wonder, I've often wondered, is that the reason why Paul was blind for three days? 
and then he could work things out because he knew the Old Testament practically backwards. And because Jesus spoke to him personally, he maybe could fit all that together thinking, it says this there, it says that there, it says that there. And he actually, while his eyes were closed, worked it out <coughs> that actually this is Jesus. This is the servant. This is the man who's saving our souls. And I've gone ahead of my time down there, so I've lost my place. So, on the Damascus Road, all that happened, and he opened his eyes. He was blind to Jesus, became blind himself. His blind eyes were opened, and Jesus Christ was with him for the rest of his life in this world and the next. And thank God for that. And we pray, this is still happening today, in our community in and in our, in our nation, that blind eyes are opened in our family, in our friends, in our workmates, people who we see in the street. We pray that their eyes will be opened, whether it's today, tomorrow or in the future. It also does mean, and it gives hope for people in prisons who have done wrong, that their eyes will be opened to do right and stop doing wrong and maybe find faith even in the prison, and then new life with Christ, either in the prison, while they're still in prison, or when they get out. Whichever way we look at it, we pray that people who are in darkness, whichever way that is, see the light of Christ who has come into world. And we're all there, think of it, at one time in our life. We're all blind to Jesus. Verses 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. Nor my praise to carved images. Here again, we have the Tetragamicon to God, which Saul had and Moses had. God is straight to the point. I am the Lord. That is my name, who created everything wants us to grasp the fact that he did everything everywhere regardless of where we look whether we look on earth whether we look in space wherever we look and if there's any faults that's mankind it's our doing not God's God is a jealous God as he loves us that much it's the sin that's within us that's the problem and to be fair we're very good at sinning every one of us in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus um, 20, 3 and 6, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the first, third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So where are we today? Where are our friends? We have to draw a line. You're either with God or you're not. And that's as simple as that. We should not make any images of God. But we cannot say anyway. Jesus is the only visible 
representation of God who people saw. How can you worship a carved image that does nothing? God wants us to worship him and him alone because he is the only creator and sustainer of the universe. An image does nothing and has been made by somebody, some human, generally speaking. The maker does more than the actual image because the image doesn't do no, but the maker's got to make it and shape and mould it. The maker actually does more to the image than the image does itself. Nobody made God. He has always existed. As he said to Moses, I am who I am. And that's just how it is, because we can't explain it. I can't anyway. Do you think it is still the same today? Absolutely. As God's word never changes. So then, God is still a jealous God. He wants people to love him. And why not? He made everything and us as well. It's the reason why he sent his only son to pay for our sin. Because really speaking, God wants everybody to get to heaven. But unfortunately, we won't. God sent his perfect example so that we can learn from him. His way of life, we must follow. People don't want to know Jesus, our sin bearer. They want to live their own life their own way. Sadly, really. It's sad that, isn't it, really? They love this type of fallen world. True Christians belong to the next world with the Godhead, which will be far better than this one. It will be perfect. So battle your way there, Christians. It's de definitely worth fighting for. Or as me as Frank would say, it's definitely worth scrapping for. <laughs> Verses 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Here, God is saying that he tells the people of the world that things are going to happen before they happen. And guess what? They happen, because God says so. Think of all the scriptures of Jesus was to come. Start of this sermon, 1 to 4, is a good example. And there's loads more. The Bible is full of them. But God, God tells us for our good, out of his good nature. In some cases, God doesn't want things to turn out like he says it will. He would prefer that we repented and that these things wouldn't happen. It's because of our sinful nature and we don't listen to his words or follow up his ways is why he says these things. There's many things, descriptions in the Bible where he says, don't do this or this or that. But it's the same to us as well. But in the Old Testament in particular, we can read about a battle comes because God's people haven't done what they were supposed to do. Well, but it's not bad news, is it? Not just bad news, should I say. In Jesus Christ is the good news. Sins are paid for by Jesus' precious blood on the cross. It's the best news since the fall of creation. You think of the weight of sin from Adam to the end of time 
on Jesus' shoulder at the cross. Because we don't know when end of time is going to be. It might be a thousand years. It might be next week. It might be hundred years. But there's going to be a load of sin. So from Adam till the end of time, there's all that sin on Jesus' shoulder at the cross. It's so big, you can't even think of it. You see, God is merciful and kind. Telling us not to do things before we do it. And when we have done whatever we have done wrong, God is still merciful and kind if we repent. Sometimes, in a way, we even say to our children, don't we? Don't do this, because this will happen. I bet my mum my mom sat there, and I bet you used to say to us, Mum, don't do this, Phil, because that will happen. And I bet it's happened in your family. Don't do this, because that will happen. God's just doing exactly the same. For mankind, that is. Ever since creation, he hasn't stopped. He's still telling us, don't do this, but do that. He's still here today, being merciful and kind to us all. And we still have our instruction manual, the Bible. It's what we need to do. It's what we need to read. Mankind has to take some responsibility for his actions. We all have to have some responsibility. If we do something wrong, I can't blame. I can't do something wrong tomorrow and say, oh, well, my pastor said that Russ uh, uh, asking, it was him who told me to do that. It's wrong, isn't it? We have to be responsible, each individual, for our own actions. And then we have to be responsible to repent and come to God and ask for forgiveness. So as we come to a close then, what does this sermon teach us? Former things have come to pass. Because Jesus, for us, has come. Some things before us will be new. Not everything in the Bible has come to pass. There's some things new to come. God knows all things. They happen, that happen. And he knows the outcome. So, so you might ask, well, why does God do this? Why does he bother? It's so that when things happened or have happened, you can trust him. Because you can read about certain things in the Bible where people have done wrong, they've repented, and God's come back to them. And God comes back to us as individuals if we do the same. It's not as though God flips from you and moves away if you're a true Christian, but God is wanting you to repent. For your wrongdoing. So really we've got to do it every day. But we've got to understand what we've done wrong. And fix it. We can always trust God. His word is true. God wants us to trust him. Believe on him. And live with him. And for him. In this life and the next. And if we do. Even though we mess up at times. Or from time to time. Our future will be so good in the next life, God guarantees it because His Word says so. And we will know and be with God forever. <laughs> Verse 10 says this Sing to the Lord a new song and praise Him from the ends of the earth. Are you going to do that? Are you going to sing a new song in your heart? I'll be on my digger tomorrow. And I might sing while I'm bigger driving. Singing a song to the Lord. 
what are you going to be doing? Thanks for listening. Amen. Amen.